All right. It's week nine. It's the Block Party DFS show with JM to win from one week season. We are going to recap week eight. We're going to do a slate overview of week nine, and then we're going to go position by position, top GPP plays for this week nine slate. Some people call it a gross slate, but if I know my guy JM, he's going to find some stuff to love. Let's do it. Peter's one of the greatest depositors I've ever seen. Trust the process. Let's go. I got auto match with Levin Chan. Hey everyone. Well, Jam, we our show landed directly in the middle of kind of the Halloween content. We were too early last week to dress up, too late this week, but did you have a good uh Halloween with the kids? Yeah, it was the first time that that William was he's four and a half. It was the first time he was old enough to really register it and be into it, which isn't a, to say that for all kids it's that age because my daughter was two and a half and she was thrilled. But past years he's kind of been like, "What is going on?" and almost like I'm ready to get back home. So uh, yeah, he had a he had a blast. We had a blast. Uh, it was fun. And this is a uh, this is a trick or treat type week for the slate, isn't it? Where uh, if they're like, here you go, here's eight backup quarterbacks and, um, the good offenses are playing against good defenses. The bad offenses are playing against bad defenses, have fun with it. So yeah, looking forward to this week. I said to you before the show, uh, it's kind of one of those weeks where I probably won't truly know where I'm going until Saturday night, because it's pretty, I mean, you could have done very little research on the slate. If you, if you know these teams well enough, you could do very little research and just kind of know who the sharp on paper plays are what the sharp on paper spots are. Uh, so kind of less work is required from that standpoint, but then more work is required on the creative side, which I always love. So um, yeah, gonna gonna block off tonight, all day tomorrow to kind of keep poking around on things and see where I want to go to to get a little spooky with this one. There you go. I like it. We're keeping Fanatic. the Halloween vibes alive. <laughs> Before we do our slate overview, let's quickly do a week eight recap. I'm always trying to jog my memory. I believe the team that won the Millie Maker last week had a pretty clean Dak Prescott double stack. Of course, you needed uh, our cover boy, AJ Brown, in there as well. And then I know a lot of the Bengals and Niners kind of onslaughts and heavy builds got there. George Kittle, Ayuk, Jamar Chase, all having big games. Any other takeaways for you from week uh, eight? No, it was it was um, one of my only weeks where I was like really frustrated on Sunday. I don't typically ride the emotions you know it's one of those things if i ever do ride the emotions it's the negative emotions like big wins i'm just like okay cool um but negative negative weeks typically i tend to just kind of like they roll off me because i, I know i'm putting samples into a bucket and um but yeah this is one of the rare weeks where like on sunday my mood was being affected by the fact that my all like i spent the whole day like at negative 10 percent roi and you're yeah. just like when is, when is like i have everything right sam howell was my highest owned Quarterback, um, yeah, Alvin highest owned running back, Brees Hall, third highest owned running back, AJ Brown, highest owned wide receiver, George Kittle, highest owned tight end, uh, overweight, CD Lamb, Rashid Shahid, Jahan Dotson, Jamar Chase. So it's just one of those weird ones where, um, yeah, th things just didn't come together actually. And then, like, the last six minutes, seven minutes of the late games went from like negative 10% to negative 40% ROI, and um, and then it was like games ended. And I kind of zoomed out and looked at things, looked through some of my rosters. And it was like, oh, I, I really, it was one of my sharpest weeks of play. And it's just one of those weird things where I had a, I had at least one week earlier this year where I, I said after the fact, it wasn't that sharp of a week of play, but I had a big weekend. Um, and this is one of those where it was a really sharp week of play and it just wasn't a big weekend. So yeah, that was, it was easier to move on once I realized that and, and roll it into another good week this week, but frustrating throughout the day on Sunday, you guys all know how that is. And you have one of those days where, your mood is getting affected by what's going on in some football games around the country. But uh, yeah, it doesn't, doesn't typically happen for me, but it was definitely one of those days for me this last week. Yeah. I, I always have that, you know, when you have the bad weeks, it's that like Sunday, everyone, what do they call them? The Sunday scaries. Like I get those, but with football, right? Like if things aren't trending in the right direction, it's like the one time a week, my mood, you know, really dips in a bad way and you really have to fight to get out of it. And I was in a similar boat with you. I was like, I felt so good because I rolled out two lineups, 
both heavily concentrated on that Eagles commanders game. I had a Jalen Hurts, AJ Brown stack and a Sam Howell stack in the other lineup. I'm like, I'm sitting pretty. We identified the best game. JM got us on Sam Howell here, but just didn't have the right pieces around it to get anything done. And that that's to me when it's most frustrating, right? Where it's like you identify the hardest thing, like one of the best game environments and you still can't get the pieces to fit together. Perfect. I mean, it was, that was the second time since the start of last year that I've played CD lamb. Like, and I was yeah. overweight the field on him. And it was like, when I can, it was, you know, it's like to me, like the Keenan Allen thing, right? CD lamb is mm -hmm. in the bucket of just like guys. I don't play because of how the Cowboys want to run their offense. And there were just enough things that I was seeing. that I was like, you know what, this could actually be a CD lamb week, even though it's not like an expected shootout, even though it's not a game where the Rams should be forcing them to throw. I just started seeing components where it was like, man, I'm actually going to play CD lamb this week. So, uh, I mean, I, I'm impressed with myself when that, when that happens. And it's a guy who's like on my never play this guy list. And then I can, step back and see, oh, but you don't want to break that rule this week. So yeah, it was, it was kind of wasted where you get the 44 pointer from CD lamb paired with the 36 pointer from AJ Brown and Sam Howell at quarterback. And, and somehow you're not, uh, not finishing up money, but those are the breaks of DFS uh, learn from it or don't learn from it. I guess just learn that maybe you did things right. And some weeks are just like that, but uh, roll it forward into this week. And this is a week. I mean, there's edges this week because the chalk is, like nobody's happy with whatever they're playing at high ownership. You know, Demario Douglas currently coming in as the highest projected owned wide receiver, a, a five foot eight, sixth round rookie playing for one of the worst offenses in football. Um, and he makes sense on paper, right? It's like, he's the sharpest play on paper on the Patriots. So it's that sort of week where you're just like, boy, uh, the chalk probably wouldn't be chalk in other weeks. And that gives us a lot of opportunity for fun strategy edges and leverage and, things that we can do differently from the field while also recognizing some things we'll have to do along with the field. So um, yeah, looking forward to this week. Yeah. And it's, it's very different from last week in that, you know, we had no bye weeks last week. There were all kinds of different ways to attack and in spots this week, we have, you know, big time uh, bye week implications, no Jags uh, this week. We also have, you know, the best game of the week. We shipped off to Germany, Kansas city and Miami. We got this bills Bengals game, which looks very fun on Sunday night football. The chargers play on Monday. So this is a very uh, tighter slate as far as I would say premium, offenses and the totals kind of reflect that really only one game with a total over 45 this eagles cowboys game um any other game environments jumping out to you or kind of macro game environment thoughts i mean there are games that could shoot out but most of the i mean obviously seattle baltimore and philadelphia dallas i think that the the most interesting component of the conversation is that those two games could shoot out, but the median expectation is not a shootout. And yet this slate is set up the way it is to where we'll probably see a lot of people piling onto those games. So obviously if those games shoot out, they're the games that you had to have. But also one of the questions I want to ask, particularly on rosters not building around those games, is what happens if those games underwhelm? And so there is the component of like, we know that Indy plays fast. We know that uh, Indy can put up points. We know that Indy can allow points. So Indy Carolina could end up being uh, a game where you get kind of higher scoring than expected. Um, if Washington is able to, well, I mean, Washington has been a shootout producer, right? High pass rate over expectation, uh, bad pass defense. So if Washington is able to find a way to score points, you know, kind of in a tough spot in New England, then that game could become kind of interesting. Uh, Tampa Houston has some interesting components, but you also recognize these two teams typically play lower scoring game. So it's probably not, probably not going to end up being a situation of, okay, Dallas and Philly ends up in sort of closer to its median, Baltimore, Seattle ends up closer to its median and some other game shot out and was the game that you had to have. It's probably less going to be about that than it is going to be about, um, okay, this, this player ended up separating or this team ended up separating or this stack ended up separating. And so, yeah, I'll be looking for games that could separate from the bunch, but also, teams and players that could separate from the bunch because it is very bunched up this week. And um, there's going to be something somewhere that probably that's low owned that ends up separating in a big way. Do you find yourself on a week like this where so many of the top offenses aren't on the main slate, lower totals? Do you find yourself wanting to go all in or onslaught a game or try to get less things right of just saying like, hey, if this is the Commanders Eagles game of last week and yet and then we don't have a Cowboys explosion or a Niners thing that I just got the one good game environment right. Is that something you consider with kind of your overall builds? 
I won't ever force something. So if I'm seeing something that to me is relatively high confidence, then I'm always comfortable doing that. And I guess on a week like this, I would be that much more confident and comfortable doing that. Um, but it's not, I, I'm going to, you know, Joe Burrow has talked about where does he throw the ball? He, he doesn't throw the ball where he wants to throw it. He throws the ball where the defense tells him to throw it. In other words, whatever the defense is trying to take away, then he's going to realize that that means somebody else is open, right? And that's where he's going to go. So I'm going to let the slate tell me where to go in that I'm not going to say, oh, like this is the type of slate where if I get the right thing right, now I'm way ahead of the field. So let me try to hunt for that right thing. So yeah, I mean, if I see something like that, I'm going to be even more comfortable on a week like this because everything's so clumped up that if you get that one thing right, you are separating from the field so much. But uh, I'm not going to proactively sort of hunt game by game and say, okay, maybe I'm going to choose this game or choose this game. Uh, it's going to be more about how the slate shapes up in my thoughts and whether or not I find something like that. Makes sense. Uh, I know some people in the chat referencing some late uh, breaking injury news. I'm sure we will get to those when we go, you know, position by position. Drake London ruled out. Curtis Samuel ruled out. We will check in on all of those. But Jam, let's start uh, at quarterback here. You know, there's two guys really separating from a projection standpoint, Lamar Jackson, Jalen Hurts. And then it's a pretty flat tier after that kind of a choose your own adventure. Is that how you are seeing things? Are there any other guys who are in consideration at the top for you? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm surprised that Dak Prescott isn't sitting at the very top of uh, ownership projections and, and projections just because of, you know, uh, Philadelphia faces a 71% pass play rate which means that the average quarterback taking on Philadelphia would have the highest, just built a composite quarterback uh, quarterback against Philadelphia would have the highest pass play rate in the NFL uh, pass rate over expectations. I believe uh, quarterback average quarterback against composite quarterback against Philadelphia would rank third, just barely behind Mahomes and Sam Howell in pass rate over expectation. So yeah, I mean, it's on the road in Philadelphia. You would prefer Dallas at home for sure in this spot, but uh, I think Dak is right there in the conversation and uh, Lamar, very attractive. Jalen Hurts, very attractive, but also the, the, there's a lot of room to the downside, less so on, on Hurts. Although who knows, like they've, they've not talked much about this knee issue for Hurts, but you see it on the field. So uh, who knows how much he's running, you know, if he's sort of back to normal in this one where he could pick up 40, 50 yards on the ground, or if it's more like, Hey, he's primarily going to be in the pocket here. Uh, but there's, there's definitely room to the downside on Lamar. We see it all the time, room, room to the downside on Lamar. So, um, yeah, I, I don't think that either of those guys are a slam dunk, especially at their price tags, but they're both very much in play, especially on this slate. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, Dak is in that conversation. And then, you know, it's, it's a, th this is the state of the slate in that Mac Jones is coming in as one of the highest projected owned quarterbacks um, on this bad offense and a, a guy nobody ever wants to play and, um, you know, I'm sure that people chuckle in their, in their living rooms and offices, whenever I mentioned potentially playing some Mac Jones on a given week. And now everybody's like, well, let's throw some Mac Jones out there and see what happens. So, um, on a week like that, I also want to be thinking about, yeah, Mac Jones, but also like who's playing Bryce young, you know what I mean? Like, and I'm yeah. not saying Bryce young's a good play, but I'm just saying like, there's not a ton that separates Mac Jones from Bryce young. And, and so I'm going to be looking for spots like that. Also speaking of injury news, uh, Deshaun Watson, it looks like he's going to be starting this week uh, yep. in this great matchup against Arizona. So, uh, yeah, there's there's a lot of fun things we can get to this week that are not when the best on paper plays are still mediocre to sub mediocre plays. Then we can pick different mediocre plays than the best on paper plays because there's just not that much that separates things and uh, definitely find pathways to ceiling on a week like this where you know if mac jones puts up 16 points and deshaun watson puts up 25 all of a sudden you, you've got this big edge on on that obviously watson ownership might go up as as this news trickles out we get deeper into the week but um after his last start maybe not right after his last yeah. start through five passes went one for five and threw a pig and left the game so yeah uh, should be an interesting um setup at quarterback for sure are there because we do have a ton of uh new quarterbacks, you know, getting starts this week. Are any of those guys on the radar for you? So I'll, I'll throw a few out. You got Jaron Hall taking over 
for Kirk Cousins. You got Aiden O'Connell taking over for Jimmy Garoppolo. You got Heineke taking over for Desmond Ritter. And then uh, obviously Clayton Toon taking over for Joshua Dobbs. As, are any of those guys on the DFS radar? I saw a little early week interest in Aiden O'Connell at 4,500. So I just wanted to ask. Uh, nothing for me right now, but typically my process, well, typically Thursday night is when I start to get a little bit more creative. So that would be pre this show. Um, this week, I'm kind of like, a, I'd say a half day behind in that regard, A, because there's not as much to sort through on this slate. Uh, and then B, just Halloween pushing things back a day. I flew to Oakland on Wednesday to reserve entries instead of on Tuesday. Um, but that that's the type of thing like, that Saturday night, like nothing on paper stands out among these cheaper guys, but it would typically be my Saturday night when I'm actually building my exposures and trying to get creative and, and expanding my thoughts on things that I would typically come across one of those guys. So like last week on Saturday night, I added Will Levis to my list. And then about 20 minutes later, removed Will Levis hmm. from my list, which is too bad. But, um, you know, you're not going to look on paper and be like, oh, Will Levis is actually interesting. But then to me, my Saturday night process is when I I sort of ask the questions about every player on every team and make sure that there's nothing I'm overlooking. And that's the point where I can kind of start seeing things like, oh, well, actually, maybe I am going to be on this um, this guy in his first or second start. But currently, no, I don't see anything like that. Yeah, I'm I'm in the same boat with you. And it, th the question I was saying is like, even with like the Mac Jones, it was even like I liked Mac Jones relative to Aiden O'Connell or some of these other guys. Where it's like, <laughs> okay, yeah, you're you're saving four hundred dollars, but on this slate is that even enough of a difference to justify going down there? Another guy who seems like he's going to be fairly popular is Baker Mayfield uh, at 5,200. So even if you're wanting, it's like you can almost get the price savings without taking on like the bottoming out risk of these guys who have never played an NFL game, you know, like Jaron Hall or whoever. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's, there's, there's some speculation that it won't even end up being Jaron Hall. You know, the Vikings really don't want to play, Jaron Hall and if Dobbs can pick up this playbook quickly enough, it's actually going to end up being, you know, they've said Jaron Hall, but that can change. So um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think there's anything in the profiles of these guys that makes me say, Oh, these guys are going to step in and have a big game uh, to where it could actually win you a tournament. So yeah, there's enough cheap guys that are viable, you know, like, like Jordan love probably gets you those typical 16 points, but he has an outside shot at 22 to 23 uh, same thing with Mac Jones, same thing with Derek Carr, same thing with Baker Mayfield. So, um, you know, one of these cheap guys, they would have to really put up more like 28, 29, 30 points, which would be hard for them to do. Um, you brought up the, the pricing difference. I think that's an interesting note on this week too, just from a strategy perspective, is that there are places where people are going to get too boxed into price tag and not play guys or play guys because of price tag. So a couple examples, uh, you know, DK Metcalf is 6,900 and coming in with really low ownership projections. But if he were 6,100, then I feel like everyone would be like, man, this guy's so underpriced, you got to play him. But once games kick off, we're, we're worried about raw points. So what is it about his profile that would make people comfortable playing him at 6,100? It's that he has a really high ceiling. And on a week like this, anybody with a high ceiling who can separate, we want to be thinking about them. Um, similarly, we've got TJ Hawkinson's price was proactively dropped. Jordan Addison's was not. Uh, if Jordan Addison were 4,900 instead of 6K, same thing. You'd see a lot of people like, boy, well, Jordan Addison's still got the ceiling and uh, they can kind of talk themselves into that play. So uh, Rashid Shahid, another one, his price went up. Nobody wants to pay 4,500 for a guy who typically sees three or four targets. And yet he's got this 18 pointer on his ledger. He's got this 27 pointer on his ledger. He's a guy I've been overweight on uh, both those weeks, but almost every week this season. Um, you know, on paper, you're like, why would I pay 4,500 for this guy? But because of that, his ownership is really low. And if he gets the raw points, it ends up helping you. So that's one of the things I'm going to be looking for this week is being a little less salary conscious and a little more conscious of, um, who's low owned because people are still in the salary conscious box in their thinking, but I can get the lower owned guy with, you know, that would be high on if his price were just in a different price point. I think that's such a an interesting conversation because I've been thinking about that as it relates to ADP in the weekly underdog drafts and even juxtaposing the Mac Jones popularity and Demario Douglas as well on DraftKings this week compared to where they're going in drafts. I mean, Mac Jones is not even getting drafted in the 12-person drafts. I've been doing. He early in the week had an ADP lower than quarterbacks who were not even going to play this week. It, it's just fascinating that 
it speaks to the price anchoring effect on DraftKings. When a guy pops as a points per dollar thing, there's almost this like double counting of it means he's a great play because of the points per dollar thing, which I understand there's a projection backing that, but it doesn't necessarily separate from the rest of the quarterback options on the whole. But because we're so anchored to that price or we're so anchored to that ADP, it's really hard to get off of that mentally. Yeah, it's a great way to put it. And, and, and a good example, because if Mac Jones were... 5,700, he wouldn't be popular this week. No. Uh, you know, everyone would be like, well, why would you play Mac Jones at 5,700? Uh, and there's a pricing psychology component too. We see it with running backs when a, a guy is 5.9K versus 6.1K. And when the guy is 5.9K, you're like, well, if he gets me 20 points, I'm pretty happy with it. You know, it's he's 5K basically, <laughs> but you go up to 6.1K and it's like, I don't know, you know, he's so close to these 7K guys. And so similarly with Mac Jones being 4,900, it it pushes a different button in people's brains. It pushes a different button in the projection systems and what they tell you. And so, uh, yeah, definitely going to be less price sensitive this week. And just thinking, trying to think about how do I pile as many, as much potential for raw points onto a roster as I can. I want to ask you about two more quarterbacks before we move on. And again, it, you know, doing all the underdog drafts helps kind of give me a slightly different orientation on some of these plays, but I was kind of surprised um, to see he wasn't more popular in DraftKings just because I believe he's going as like the QB four or five on underdog right now, but that's Derek Carr at home versus Chicago. I know people are starting to get really interested in Chris Olave as a play. Uh, any thoughts on Derek Carr here in this spot? Well, we haven't talked yet about uh, what our building block is going to be on this no. on this uh, show. So, Spoiler. why don't we save Derek Carr for Ooh, okay. for that? What if what if I said that and then we got there and I'm like, all right, Jalen Hurts and AJ. <laughs> yeah. Hey, it would be the <laughs> ultimate. Don't want to talk about Derek Carr. Uh, yeah, we'll talk about him in the uh, when we get to the building blocks. Perfect. Then I'll ask you about the other guy. Uh, then uh, CJ Stroud is another yeah. interesting yeah, yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. I know he's kind of like burned people recently, but a uh, pretty good matchup. The wide receivers are cheap. What do you think about Stroud here in this spot at 6,200? I mean, what was one of the reasons that we were able to get Sam Howell at four or 5% owned last week? It was because he burned people the week before he put up 10 points the week before. So yeah, I mean, I, whatever happened the week before weighs so little in my thinking. And I know that's, that's not the typical way that the field thinks. Um, I, I guess I'm like, I'm so deep into what these teams do and, and all that, that what happens within one week just doesn't stand out to me. So yeah, I mean, I love it when a guy who is a good play doesn't stand out to people as a good play because they're scared because of what happened in recent weeks. I mean, realistically, you know, we can also zoom out and say the league has tape on CJ Stroud now and the league has tape on Bobby Slowick's offense now. So it does make sense that there would be this, this cat and mouse game where defenses are figuring out how to take away some of the things that this offense wants to do. But in that cat and mouse game, the offense then starts figuring out what the defense is trying to take away and uh, doing things in response to that. So yeah, CJ Stroud, you know, the, we've talked a lot about the Eagles uh, opponent pass play rate where the composite quarterback against the Eagles throws the ball more than the whoever throws the ball the most in the NFL. Uh, but in terms of opponent pass rate over expectations, the Bucks actually force an even higher opponent pass rate over expectations than the Eagles do. So um, yeah, when you play the Bucks, you throw the ball, you can't run on them. Uh, structurally, they're going to give you bad looks. Uh, Vita Vea, I believe is going to be back this week. And so uh, it's a bad matchup. Structurally, it doesn't look right for running the ball. And so it forces opponents to the air. So you're looking at coming off a week where I kept saying it last week, CJ Stroud was popular or, you know, trending toward being popular last week. And I kept saying like, everything sets up for Stroud to throw the ball 30 or fewer times. Um, everything sets up for Nico and Tank Dell to get about four to six targets. And that was what we ended up seeing. Well, everything sets up this week for the, the Texans to throw the ball more. Uh, and so this is the type of week where I'm definitely going to be leaning more into that Texans offense than I was last week. And um, I'll also throw out there another thing we mentioned last week, but Noah Brown has pretty much an yeah. equal role in this offense to Tank Dell at least. And um, so thinking of those two guys somewhat interchangeably from a projection standpoint and Noah Brown being the lower owned guy, a much lower price guy. So I love tank Dell as a player, but um, definitely going to have plenty of Noah Brown exposure this week as well. 
Yeah, um, I think that should answer your question, Stewie. Thank you for the super chat on Stroud. We will for sure touch on London when we get to the wide receivers. Sammy, appreciate you being a YouTube member here, even if you were getting censored in the chat and it's not allowing you to say your curse words. Uh, appreciate all you guys hanging People out. We'll say them for you. <laughs> yeah, actually, let's do this one one more real quick quarterback because I, I actually wanted to ask you about this one. He's another guy who um, has been out of sight, out of mind, um, <laughs> who's actually projecting uh, decently well. But then you don't have Darren Waller, uh, you know, Saquon Barkley coming off of a 39 touch game last week. Any interest in Daniel Jones in this spot? No, but... <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it is yeah. the kind of week where this is the thing. This is what, like, this is what I want to hunt for in this type of week is like, everything's condensed and everyone's like, oh, but this guy could score 22 points and everyone else on this guy who scores 17 points. And then, then like a random Daniel Jones blow up, he goes for 34 and it, and it just blows away all the other rosters at one, you know, 1% owned or whatever it ends up being. So, mm. uh, no, I don't like it. I don't, you know, what is a road game in Las Vegas for the Giants? Giants, you know, a, a big name franchise, probably a lot of Giants fans there. So it's not like a typical road game, but um, Vegas has had a really good pass defense throughout the season. And typically you get that energy bump from the fired coach and the, the you know, Antonio Pierce stepping up as a guy that, that this team loves. So, yeah, I mean, it's not a great spot for Daniel Jones, but would I argue against it? No. Um, do I end up with a little bit of it? Probably, but like, I don't, and again, it's Friday. I don't see myself getting to a point where I'm like, Ooh, like I'm pretty confident in Daniel Jones. I'm going to roll out a, a decent chunk of him, but um, shout out to anybody who can gain that level of confidence um, in Daniel Jones. Send me some of the Felix Felicis that you're, you're sipping <laughs> on. I could use, I could use yeah. that level of confidence. Um, no, I don't see myself like gaining confidence in a Daniel Jones play, but I can see myself throwing some Daniel Jones rosters out there because of what this week provides. Yeah. And I, I think he will for those reasons. And also the fact that there's not a clean stacking partner with him, I guess, unless you're pairing him with Barkley. Um, I think that will ultimately work. Keep, his popularity down. Whereas a guy like Derek Carr, if like Chris Olave is popular, CJ Stroud, if Nico gets popular, stuff like that can drive ownership to the quarterback. But let's move on to running back. I guess I'll set this up at the top. Is Kamara in a tier of his own or are guys like Barkley, Josh Jacobs, or can we even uh, squint and say Tony Pollard, Bijan, are any of these guys potentially in the same tier as him as a play this week? This week, um, yeah. I mean, you can make a case that here, here's the thing. When you, when a guy puts it together back to back weeks, it just seems like that's going to keep happening. Um, so there's potential that he, I mean, it's a horrible matchup on the ground, which I don't think anyone really realizes we can't gain any edge in DFS because the bears are also, I believe it's 32nd. They might be 30th, but they're bottom three at, at best in it might be 32nd in DVOA against running backs through the air. So it's a, uh, and that's another thing we'll get to is we get to the building blocks, but it's actually not a, the best matchup for wide receivers either. And the, the bears have done a good job holding wide receivers down of late, but it is a horrible matchup on the ground. The bears have quietly been one of the best run defenses in the NFL. Um, and yet that doesn't really matter. It's just an interesting note that, that people are going to kind of look at this matchup wrong and yet it's still a great spot for Camara. But no, I mean, pre touchdown, PPR points per game just to get a sense of kind of how guys are used and what their production is before touchdowns and hundred yard bonuses. Uh, Camara's at 18.8 on the season. Every other running back on the slate is below 14. So in terms of like how far ahead of the other running, Saquon's at 13.8. Um, DeAndre Swift, if we take away week one, when he didn't really have his role yet, uh, 13.9. Bijan Robinson, take away the, the weird illness week, 13.0. Um, everybody else, you know, Pollard, 12.3. Jonathan Taylor, 12.4 in his last three, and everybody else is below 12. Like, so Kamara is just miles ahead of everybody else, right? I mean, he's 50% higher than most of these guys in terms of pre-touchdown PPR scoring per game. So um, are there pathways to him ending up with like not scoring the touchdown and he ends up with like a 17 to 18 point game? Very much so. So like at his price tag, I don't think that he's just like a, a slam dunk. I'm, I'm playing him on hundred percent of my rosters. Uh, if there's a running back I'm playing on a hundred percent of my rosters, 
it's um, probably Jonathan Taylor. Okay, now let's talk. So now yeah. let's talk. Um, yeah. Yeah, what questions do you have on that? <laughs> yeah, well, I have I, lots I, of questions. Ever since the Ritter, ever since the Ritter week, when so many people were like shouting us out for, you know, thanks for the Ritter stack, I won this much money. Um, I'm now hesitant to put like stamps on players because the point of the show is not for us to tell people who to play. It's to yeah. kind of work through some of the angles on the slate and provide additional thoughts for people to layer in. And, and so I don't want to like say something like this and then everyone's like, all right, I'm locking in Jonathan Taylor. Yeah. But I might be locking in Jonathan Taylor. You know what I mean? So like, that's just my, that's what I'm doing this week. Potentially well, it's Friday. And, we don't know. And let, let me play devil's advocate. And cause I'm going to do it as someone who likes Jonathan Taylor a lot. And it seems like the market likes him. He's been going high in the underdog drafts. He's projecting for a decent amount of ownership. Um, I, I get it too, right? I mean, this is a Carolina defense that's been very bad against the run unless it's the Texans running game going against it. Um, but I think the the concern, right, is he was had, what, 90-some rushing yards in the first half last week and then is barely used in the second half. Zach Moss continuing to kind of hold him off to an extent, playing very well. Then you get the coach speak. I don't know if you saw some of those interviews talking about, hey, we're going to ride the hot hand. You know, Zach Moss is still a big part of this offense. And so... I think if you didn't have that equation, like JT would be the most popular running back on the slate, like pretty easily. But I think the Zach Moss stuff is planting just enough doubt in drafters' minds right now. Yeah, which which in a sense we like that, right? We we would yeah. prefer there to be. I would prefer there to be more doubt around the situation. I was pretty disappointed when I looked at ownership for the first time this morning and saw JT up in like the the twenty percent range because we would prefer him to be. I would prefer him to be. 8%, 12% where everyone's like, I don't know. Um, the, I, I, it's one of the things I was recommending this week in winter circle is, which is our, if you're unfamiliar with the site, it's our two, it's our Wednesday training show where we look, you know, macro talk, macro DFS strategy theory through the lens of the week behind lens of the week ahead. Um, all these OWS pennants we see at the tops of the leaderboards every week. Most of them are inner circle members because they get this training all the time and, and how to play sharp DFS. Uh, one of the things I was talking about this week is the value of like throwing out negative comments, throwing negative comments out of your mind in that, like I've had so many times where I'm high on a player because this data point makes me like them and this data point makes me like them. And then I hear somebody really sharp bring up like a negative data point. And then it's like, Oh, I hadn't thought about that. Right. Well, there are negative data points on any player, but if we can, if we can, we're looking for the ceiling, we're not looking for the ways that a guy can fail. We're looking for how can he succeed and how high of a rate can, or like how high can his ceiling be? And those are the positive data points that, that lead to that. Um, so similarly with this Jonathan Taylor situation, it's like everyone's latching onto this idea of Shane Steichen saying, uh, ride the hot hand. But like in context of everything he said this week, that hasn't been his focus. Um, so he, first off, he had to answer a lot of questions on Monday this week about Jonathan Taylor's yeah. usage. And he walked through the whole third quarter, you know, he kept, and he kept saying like, would we like to get JT more touches? Yeah, we would have, but he walked through the whole third, third, uh, third quarter where their first drive, they had like penalties sacks and they kept having like second along third and long situations on that drive. So Taylor was on the field, didn't get touches because it didn't set up for him to have touches. I believe it was then the second drive that it was a Zach Moss drive, right? So they put Moss out there and Moss got that drive. And then the next drive there ended up being a turnover. And then the game was kind of getting away from them. Like they only had three drives in the third quarter. Now it's all of a sudden the fourth quarter and the game's getting away from them. So it wasn't like they were purposing to not get Jonathan Taylor these touches. It was just the way that the game went in a game where they were trailing against a really good Saints run defense that um, isn't typically where you're going to get upside from the running back position. So uh, then same thing, Jim Bob Cooter, offensive coordinator for the Colts. If you aren't familiar with Jim Bob Cooter, I'm not making a joke. That is a real name. That is the offensive coordinator for the Colts. But uh, Jim Bob Cooter was also having to answer questions about this on Monday. And somewhat humorously, one of the reporter, well, uh, Cooter said, <laughs> Cooter, sorry, um, it, Cooter said, together, jam. <laughs> la laughing at people's names isn't like, can't choose your name, but like, I'm sure Jim Bob Cooter knows that his name draws laughs. Um, so the, he, he said, you know, a lot of times like media will blow something like this out of proportion. And then the next week, like that player will see a bunch of, like a lot more touches. And the, one of the media members then said, so basically said, so you listen to us and then end up fixing the problem. Yeah. Um, which isn't necessarily the way that the coaches are processing this, but when you're continually having to answer questions about something like this, it does put that thought in your mind. And then you're like, well, let's get JT going this week. Um, so that helps. 
the fact that the Panthers face the lowest pass play rate in the NFL, the fact that the Colts have one of the lowest pass rate over expectations in the NFL, like the expectation here is the Colts are going to run the ball. Uh, the expectation is that JT's, he played 60% of the snaps last week. He's going to play 60, 65% of the snaps um, and could be a week where, you know, he gets 18 to 22 touches and Moss gets 14 to 16 touches. But I do think that JT gets 18 to 22 touches this week. It would surprise me if he doesn't get into that range. And if he gets into that range, then he's a guy I want to have a decent amount of exposure to. Yeah. Uh, the the one exception to your thing about maybe uh, taking suggestions from reporters who are needling you, it's Arthur Smith. That man is impervious <laughs> to any suggestions of player usage. Oh, I love um, Arthur Smith and everyone hates on Arthur Smith. And they hate on the way he is with the media. Arthur Smith is, you know what? Uh, I was listening to a PFF podcast this morning and they were like ragging on Arthur Smith, but, but Arthur Smith always rags on PFF. So they're probably, they're probably hurt. And um, I want to take some shots back at him, but uh, Arthur Smith, is, Arthur, Smith is the, Arthur Smith is the man. I'll enjoy him as long as he keeps that job, which might not be too long, but uh, yeah, it's fun. Yeah. Let, let's cover a little bit more ground at running back before we move on. Um, it looks like one of the best uh, points per dollar values that's popping up now with Damian Pierce unlikely to play is Devin Singletary. Some chatter in the chat about him. He is only 4,300 at home here. Tampa Bay has been pretty good uh, against the run. So I'm curious how you think about Devin Singletary as a play at that price tag. Uh, combined uh, Singletary and Pierce. I looked this up last night. Combined. I think they're averaging like 12.3 DraftKings points per game. So, oh, he gets all the touches. Um, he gets the 12.3 points for this backfield. At the same time, like, could Singletary end up more involved in the pass game? And could he end up picking up 14 points, 16 points, 18 points? So, no, he's not, he's not like jumping off the page to me, but certainly not a guy I'm crossing off my list either because any guy who's going to see, and realistically, he's probably not going to see 85% of the snaps. That's just not the way that, most teams operate, but anybody who's going to see 65% of the snaps at that price tag is certainly in the mix. Yeah. And I just pour a little extra cold water on the Singletary stuff too. They were using, they're legit using Andrew Beck at the goal line. Uh, anyone who had Damian Pierce last week is familiar with that dynamic and, and Mike Boone's actually getting a little bit of work as well. So I envision Mike Boone will also see his role expand a little bit with Damian Pierce out. So just something to consider if you're thinking Devin Singletary is going to consolidate every touch in that backfield. Um, what one I also wanted to ask you about because it's a great matchup. There's a lot of ambiguity. They're getting Deshaun Watson back. Thoughts on this Cleveland backfield and specifically Jerome Ford? Yeah, I mean Ford has one game over 15 touches. So I'm not. I mean, this it's so hard to get a read on this backfield, right? Last week they didn't play him in the first half. Looked like he was dressed for emergency purposes, and then he gets a bunch of run in the second half. So who really knows? But um, no, I mean, Jerome Ford probably gets into that 15-touch range. Kareem Hunt probably gets into that 15-touch range. Um, you know, Ramondre Stevenson probably gets into the the 16- to 18-touch range. Daryl Henderson probably gets into the 15-touch range. So there's kind of a lot of guys in this range who are, who are viable. Uh, Rashad White is the best on-paper play of the bunch. But, um, yeah, there's a lot of different directions you can go in this 5K range, and none of them – really stand out to me as super great plays, but all of them are in the context of this slate. All of them are perfectly fine, perfectly sharp. So there's no, like none, none of them are anybody. I, I would say this, like my caution, anybody watching, listening would be don't get too don't, don't go too deep down the path of convincing yourself that like, Oh, this guy is dramatically better than this guy in this price range, because really like a, a lot of it's pretty clumped up and probably the sharpest way to play this is going to be to like, build some strategy angles around exposure to all these guys, as opposed to saying, Oh, this guy, like, let me put my stamp on this guy. Cause maybe you guess right. And that guy has the biggest game, but uh, there's nothing that really separates a lot of these guys from one another this week. Yeah. I think that's a good way to frame it real quick before, uh, we move on to wide receiver just because he is down in that 5,000 range. And because we also did get the report about an hour ago, the Panthers saying Chuba Hubbard would start uh, at running back this week, kind of an official flippening with Miles Sanders. Any love for Chuba here? I don't know. I don't, I don't think so. I mean, in not any more than anyone else. Um, yeah. You know, some of the things Frank Reich said on Monday actually made me think that um, this is going to be the week where they started using Miles Sanders more again. So there's, I mean, there's certainly still 
thoughts in their minds that obviously now they've come out and said Chuba is starting this week, which has been the case anyway. But um, my point being that they they're still there. There is going to be a week this this year where Miles Sanders leads the backfield again, um, or at least that's the way that they're they've been talking um, externally. So uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it's not what are the chances that he puts up a twenty five pointer? Pretty low. He's never topped 20 points, I believe in his career, maybe like 22 was his best game ever when he had like the full Christian McCaffrey workload, but, um, but no, he's not a bad play either. So just not a play that stands out from the bunch, but certainly in the mix with these other ones. All right, let's move on to wide receiver. Uh, quick reminder though, you guys need to be checking out one week season. If you haven't, I saw copper prices in the chat. He won the giveaway. We did a giveaway jam from last week for people who correctly identified the Millie maker. So copper prices is the OWS member of the week. He says, where do I get the winning lineups? DM to me. Uh, yeah. Once you're in the inner circle, JM privately DMs you all of the winning lineups. but <laughs> all jokes aside, you can get uh 40% off a uh, one week season right now with promo code Pete 40. If you just want to do a week pass, you can use a uh, promo code code Pete to get the regular 20% off. But if you want to get the inner circle or DFS packages that Pete 40 will take care of you, you'll get uh, all of the content on the site, including my favorite stuff, the scroll, which populates here on Friday evenings, you get JM's player grid, his building blocks, some of which we'll talk about. But if you want the full thing, you got to become an OWS sub, but JM let's move over to wide receiver where we don't have as many high end options as normal with some of these big games off of the main slate. You have some concerns, you know, Cooper Cup's quarterback play, what's going on with the Devontae Adams and Aiden O'Connell. Um, what are you seeing at the top end for wide receiver this week? Yeah, I'll, we we spent a lot of time laughing about Jim Bob Cooter and we kind of have to condense time now. But the <laughs> so rather than kind of going player by player, I'll kind of blanket it, it by saying like there are very clear opportunities for everybody above 7k to score 20 or fewer points um mm -hmm. at the same time like there are clear opportunities for cd lamb to put up 35 to 40 and aj brown to put up 35 to 40 for Devontae adams to put up 35 to 40 and and people to not be on him so um nothing up there is high confidence the way that it could have like last week where i'm like okay i'm locking in a ton of aj brown and then a step below that, I'm locking in a ton of Jamar Chase. There's nothing like that this week where it's just high confidence. I want to make sure I'm going, going out of my way to get a bunch of these guys. Um, but that's not to say that because the whole slate's kind of like that. So that, that's not to say that I won't have 30% exposure to one of these guys. But, but it's just to say that that's not a starting point for me because um, there are very clear pathways to any of these guys underwhelming this week. Yeah, let's let's do the Demario Douglas conversation. It looks like he is going to be the most popular play on the slate, which is just it's it speaks to uh, how sick DFS is. The Patriots just absolutely decimated at wide receiver, and yet this unheralded rookie slot guy uh, here at four thousand dollars salary is going to be the guy everyone's jamming in. Uh, obviously, this commander secondary is one we've enjoyed picking on all year. Does Demario Douglas uh, make your short list this week? I mean, on, on paper, yeah, but also this is a guy whose best game is 11.4 DraftKings points. His role isn't going to dramatically expand. He plays the slot, right? He's not going to play on the outside. Yeah. He's five foot eight. He's not going to play on the outside. They're still going to run plenty of 12 personnel. So he's been seeing, you know, it was like 34 snaps and 41 snaps the last couple of weeks. Some, that's maybe not the exact numbers, but somewhere in that range. And, um, and uh, you know, his, his high is 41 snaps. That's probably what he gets to here as well. It's not like the Patriots are going to say, okay, now we're down wide receivers, so now we're going to do a ton of 11 personnel, and Demario Douglas is going to be on the field for 60 snaps. So to me, his role doesn't actually change that much from last week to this week. And obviously you don't have uh, Kendrick Bourne commanding targets. That's the state of the Patriots' offense is that Kendrick Bourne is a guy who can command targets. So um, no, like Demario Douglas, there's nothing – like he's very sharp on paper play he's not anywhere close to as sharp as what ownership is saying he should be right. Like what the expectation will be based on ownership. So if he comes out and has seven to 12 points, that's, that's right around what he should be producing this week in his role in this offense. Um, if he comes out and has like 16 to 18 to 20 points, everybody who didn't play him on a roster is going to feel like an idiot. And yet that's 
that's going to be an outlier type of score in this spot. So um, Demario Douglas is is the, the human emotion of not playing him is like, oh, I'm scared to not play him because he's going to be high owned. But like yeah. the, the logical emotion, emotional reaction to him should be like, I'm not scared. Like he's not a guy who's going to beat me. Now, realistically, we just know that DFS is crazy and he can beat you, right? Like uh, Trey McBride put up 25 points last week. Maybe he'll keep putting up 20 plus points, but that's probably going to be the only 20 pointer he puts up all season. And we see that happen in DFS where like the popular guy who really shouldn't be as popular as he is, but is that popular because of extenuating circumstances puts up a big game. And then that's the only time he does it all year. So um, will it be surprising if he randomly pops for 18 to 20 points? No, but that's not his likeliest outcome. So uh, if we're just like looking at the math, looking at the numbers, looking at the slate, we shouldn't be scared to fade him. Um, and I'll certainly have a, a huge, I'll probably be underweight the field on Demario Douglas because he's going to be like 25% owned, but I'll still have, yeah. you know, whatever I'll have, like 12%, 14%, 15% Demario Douglas, something like that. This is again, Friday morning. So this is just throwing out ideas of what my exposures might look like, but that's how I see that situation. And, and that's how the math and, and numbers line up on that situation. I want, uh, I want you to toss out if there's any other spots that are interesting to you. It is interesting that some of the there's these wide receiver duos that we've liked for a variety of reasons in different spots this year. I'll say the Rams guys cup in Nakua. You got Evans and Godwin. You got Metcalf and Lockett. You got Devante Adams and Jacoby Myers. And I don't know if a single one of the guys I just mentioned are going to be higher than 5% uh, owned this week in, in contests. Those are kind of some of the mainstays. Uh, I don't know if you want to mention any of them or are there any other spots that kind of jump out to you uh, at wide receiver this week? Yeah, I mean, it's an ultimate leverage week. Leverage in moving off from one, one player to another at price point. So like, couldn't Devontae Adams put up 35 or 40 points while while A.J. Brown and C.D. Lamb both put up 23 or fewer? Um, so spots like that where it's like, let me just pivot in the price point and get the, get the guy up here who has a high ceiling and people aren't playing, but then also pivots in, in like everyone's on Demario Douglas. So nobody's on Juju Smith Schuster and right. Juju's going to be sub 2% owned. Demario Douglas is going to be like 25% owned and they're both going to be, well, Juju's going to be on the field. There we go. Uh, Juju's going to be on the field, like more than Demario Douglas, more than likely uh, probably same number of targets, maybe fewer targets. Right. But like we play at the state a hundred times, He's going to outscore him some of those times. Um, here's another crazy one. Odell Beckham has led, wow. the, has led the Ravens in targets back-to-back -back weeks. It doesn't show up in the box score last week because there were three defensive pass interferences. Um, so it shows up as four targets. But he actually had seven targets last week, had seven targets the week before. And he's then complained about his role this week. We know that the, everybody always leans into the squeaky wheel narrative on these guys. And then uh, Zay Flowers is going to be super high-owned and everybody's going to leave – Odell Beckham alone. So there's a lot of situations like that. Michael Gallup, Brandon Cooks coming in at like sub 2%, sub 3% ownership projections, CeeDee Lamb up near the top of ownership projections. So there are a lot of spots this week where you can have fun with leverage, where you can say, if my guy hits, not only is he hitting in a vacuum, but he's also taking away points from a guy who's 10 times higher owned. And there's going to, going to be of like those three spots that I just mentioned, probably at least one of them will have the, the low-owned guy will outscore the high-owned guy, you know, at a lower price tag. And, you know, you get one of those right, you're taking away points from a large chunk of the field, adding them to your roster. So those are going to be things that I'll be looking toward this week. And, and in that regard, this week becomes less about identifying the best plays and more about strategy in a lot of ways because um, the best plays are kind of clumped up with a lot of the other plays. So uh, strategy components become even more powerful than normal on a week like this. Man, I love the the Odell Beckham shout out. I don't know if I would have noticed this without you pointing it out because I've been a little bit down on Zay as like a chalk play. He's been, you know, pretty popular each week. But when you look at his A dot, it, he hasn't been having much of a downfield role. It's kind of like the Wandell Robinson effect, but with a better quarterback. And then you look at Odell here with the better A dot. I have the fantasy life utilization point uh, pulled up uh, a bigger chunk of the air yards there. So uh, I'm glad you flagged that one because I do think that game's going to fly under the radar. And like you said, pretty good direct pivot off of Zay Flowers chalk. Um, someone in the chat uh, had asked about the ramifications of Drake London being out this week. Is that a spot in general you like for the Falcons? And who do you think is the biggest beneficiary with him out? I would guess the tight ends. I mean, I don't think that I don't think Kadero Hodge or 
I mean, Van Jefferson, he dropped that pass last week that, that you know, could have kept their drive going. Potentially they win the game there. I don't think either of those guys can put up a tournament winner if they prove me wrong, good on them. Um, so I would think that the tight ends, but I also, I've been in the habit of just avoiding players against the Minnesota defense this year, primarily because everybody was, the talk early in the season was, oh, this defense is so bad. Um, since the game against the Chargers, which is the last time I, I went, went out of my way to pick on them, uh, since that game, they have played really well. And it's the Brian Flores effect where it doesn't matter what the talent is. He's got this three safety defense that is throwing opponents off. He's got all this stuff that's throwing opponents off. And um, so, yeah, it's not a game where I, I look and I'm like, oh, the, the Falcons are probably going to have a big game here. It's probably another one of their typical 16 to 24 point scores. And, um, you know, it's just not a great spot for the, this offense as a whole. So nothing just because Drake London's out doesn't mean that I'm necessarily jumping on somebody else. You know, Drake London typically seven targets. So there's kind of a target goes here, two targets go there, a target goes here. I don't think that it, it leads to a huge spike for any one player. Before we start building our lineup, I want to ask you about one more uh, pair of wide receivers. It's the other side of the Demario Douglas game. I'm guessing McLaurin might end up being a pretty popular bring back if people are rolling out Mac Jones, Demario Douglas stuff. Um, Curtis Samuel ruled out uh, Jahan Dotson coming off his first really good game of the season. Any love for Sam Howell with his, his pass catchers here? Yeah, I've been back and forth on that. I've avoided gone through the list, but uh, like the Patriots have played everybody good, like every good wide yeah. receiver, every good running back, every good quarterback, uh, and haven't allowed production to anyone except one time to Tua, Tyreek, Waddle, one time to Mostert, um, you know, best offense in football. So yeah, I, um, on paper, I don't like it, but at the same time, given what this slate provides and then thinking like, like we said with the Daniel Jones thing, like what could be the one spot or one of the spots where it's like, Oh, and this guy separates by a ton uh, commanders are definitely in that conversation. They're going to pass so much that something could happen. And Patriots defense, similar to the Vikings defense, in that there are some of their parts defense as opposed to the individual pieces defense. But some of the parts aren't that great right now, especially J.C. Jackson. There's chances to pick on him, opportunities to pick up some big gains through the air on that side of the field. So, uh, yeah, I mean, this commander's offense is one that kind of keeps cycling through my thoughts. On paper, it's not a great play, but it, it could be one of those spots that I end up with more exposure to than expected. All right. We are going to transition over to building a lineup. There's a few plays I've been wanting to ask JM about, but I know they're going to come up here in this lineup build. I also want to mention, I see a bunch of you guys who are YouTube members in the chat. want to remind you that gets you access to uh, multiple premium things. One, you unlock the Discord in the Deposit Kingdom. Uh, we have the Hand Builder and Opto Bros channel. Lots of good DFS discussion in there, including um, resources for the showdown slates. I share the leverage plays, some of the stuff from Run the Sims, and there sims for those slates so you can hop in there and then you also get two additional premium shows a week that i don't make available publicly it's a saturday night dfs after dark show part interview power lineup build i'm having my friend joe holka on the show uh on saturday night catching up with him haven't gotten to do a show with him in a long time and then sunday mornings we do my dfs cram that'll get you ready for the slate that's at 10 45 a.m every single week we go over the overnight news latest builds and talk through all of the stuff with the latest information so if you guys want to become youtube members you'll get access to that but without further ado let's build a lineup I once again have the Deposit Kingdom Weekly League pulled up here. This is a rake-free tournament that DraftKings hooks us up with. There's 315 out of the very nice 420 entries right now. This will feel by tomorrow afternoon. Jam is giggly today. 420 Cooter references. He's uh, he's channeling his adolescent self. JM, <laughs> kick us off here with uh the the building block you'd like to go with here for this lineup yeah so we're gonna go with Derek carr and alvin Kamara in this one um back-to-back -back weeks would have kept you on 180 point pace and this is one of those weeks where yeah like maybe maybe cd lamb doesn't hit and brandon cooks hits instead and like dak plus brandon cooks can keep you on a 250 point pace but a lot of these stacks, the like available stacks this week, another another nice one is Baker Mayfield plus Rashad White, where four out of six weeks, they've kept you on 160, 190 point pace. Um, a lot of the, sh like the nice stacks this week 
aren't actually going to keep you on a 200 point pace, but it's like, well, okay, let me get this, let me get this floor of points right here. And then we can build in some ceiling and other spots from there. So uh, car, and that's not to say that, that car plus Camara can't keep you on that 200 plus point pace. It's just to say that it hasn't happened yet. And it could obviously finish lower because back-to-back weeks doesn't mean it's going to happen again this week. But what I like about this is you go through the game logs, the Bears, ever since that game against Mike Evans, uh, 171 yards for Mike Evans. Ever since then, the Bears have done an excellent job holding down wide receivers. So I like Chris Olave a lot as a player. Uh, he's talked about being in a slump right now. And what happens with slumps, you eventually break out of them, right? Um, I have been way overweight the field on Chris Olave week in and week out, but what what's the time to like have a ton of ownership on a guy like that when everybody's off of him or when everybody's on him. So in a spot where the bears have been good at holding down wide receivers and because this slate is so thin, everybody's moving over to Chris Olave. So this isn't to talk anyone off Chris Olave. I'm sure I'll have plenty of Chris Olave, but uh, I think that a really interesting way to attack this game is car plus Camara. We'll see a lot of Camara this week, but probably not with car. We'll see a lot of car this week or a decent amount of car this week, but probably not with Camara. So putting them together gives you a really nice way to play two plays that are obviously pretty sharp on this slate, but do it in a different way uh, than the field will be doing it. Do you think you could win a tournament? And of course you could, right? But I, I'll, I'll say more generally, do you think it's possible or, or likely to win a tournament with Carr to Camara if they don't connect for a passing touchdown? I'm just trying to think through like the stacking and the correlation angles there. Yeah. I mean, so this is a team, you know, going, going back to the Sean Payton days that the guys who score the touchdowns are sometimes random guys who aren't picking up yards throughout the game um, where this offense is not designed of like, how do we isolate our best players in the red zone? But it's like, how do we use our best players in the red zone to draw the defense's attention? So we throw it to our number two tight end or so we, give the ball to Taysom Hill, obviously, or like Jawan Johnson gets the touchdown or whatever ends up happening. So yeah, there could be a scenario in which Derek Carr throws for 300 yards and three touchdowns. Um, Alvin Kamara rushes for a touchdown. Two of the three touchdowns go to guys who aren't actually seeing a ton of targets or yards in the game. So they're not the ideal stacking partner, uh, but Derek Carr gets there based on those touchdowns. Also, if Carr has a 300 yard two touchdown game, which he's done plenty this year, that could be enough on a week like this. So uh, I think it's possible. Obviously, ideally you would get the, the car to Camara, but also the fact that that is very much within the realm of possibilities kind of makes it um, like, it's an interesting discussion, but like we can't know if car to Camara will hit for a touchdown, but we know that, that it's possible that it can hit for yeah. a touchdown because of the usage there. Should I do this next one for you and just put Jonathan <laughs> Taylor in? Yeah. Let's lock in uh well, I don't know. I don't know if I like Jonathan Taylor this week. Um, yeah, let's lock in Jonathan Taylor. Um, yeah. And kind of see what we do from here. Yeah. Um, no, yeah. Give me your – I feel like uh, I don't have as good of a read on some of the wide receivers uh, you like here, so so take me in a direction. Yeah, too much time spent laughing about Jim Bob Cooter. Do that <laughs> the Cooter you. Show is the what Cooter this will show. be known as. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah let – like – this is one of those weeks where a lot of it is going to come down to strategy for me. So I would yeah. honestly like just from a standpoint of what we discussed and what's interesting on this slate. Um, I think that the idea of throwing in either one of these two guys, uh, Juju Smith Schuster or Noah Brown uh, is let's, let's throw in Juju because we don't even yeah. need Juju to have a big game. We really just need him to outscore Demario Douglas. And if he does that, uh, we end up gaining an edge on a chunk of the field. But as I said, this is a week where we want to be thinking, or for me, I want to be thinking even more than normal about strategy because the edge is going to be less about identifying best plays and more about letting other people go too far in, in their confidence and who the best plays are. And we play off that a little bit. Uh, so with Juju, we get this leverage off of one of the highest owned players who's one of the thinner pieces of chalk um, and also saves some salary. Uh, and then we can go over to defense and throw in. I'm comfortable just throwing in the the Giants since we are close on time. There's other defenses to like, but uh, we can get a sense of salary by throwing in the Giants, um, taking on Aiden O'Connell. They've been playing really well lately. Uh, traded away Leonard Williams. Still have Dexter Lawrence in the middle, though, wreaking havoc on quarterbacks. So, um, yeah. And now, now we see like 6,100 left per player. Yeah. There's a lot that we can do here. 
yeah, we, we got a little extra time. I don't want to condense this too much here. I want to make sure we are hitting on some stuff. Let's use this as an opportunity to talk a little bit about tight end this week. You have some, you know, big question marks, you know, with Hawkinson and the quarterback play. Mark Andrews, very expensive, but always in play here. What have you been gravitating to at tight end? Tight end is, uh, uh, so if I'm going cheap, the player, like the individual player, who I like the most is probably Logan Thomas because when we're talking about, you know, there's not a lot of certainty across the board. So what is the one thing that we know? We know that Washington's going to pass the ball a decent yeah. amount. So that always gives that opportunity for targets to spill over to Logan Thomas. Um, I like the idea of in my, on my rosters that are building around Cowboys Eagles to throw Dallas Goddard in there or J Jake Ferguson in there. So if we wanted to take the rest of this roster to toss in some Eagles and Cowboys pieces, uh, I would want to throw in one of those guys at tight end. I think Hawkinson's very interesting. Uh, I like that they dropped his price, right? But then them dropping his price also means that his ownership is going to be higher. So that if he fails, it actually helps you that much more. But they're going to, the thing with Minnesota, they like to throw the ball and then you can't run against Atlanta. So how are they going to attack here, right? They don't have Kirk Cousins, but they're still going to have to throw the ball some. So I would expect a lot of short area throws schemed up to Hawkinson. So yeah, I, I would say for this particular roster, Let's go with one of those guys, and I'll let you pick who we throw in here. Um, but there's plenty of ways that you can go at tight end. Like, So that's not to say that um, I'm not interested in Schultz or the Fal Falcons tight ends or whoever, whoever else people might be interested in this week, but those are some of the plays that really stand out to me. I put in Logan Thomas. You get a little mini correlation there opposite Juju, hoping for those guys to both be feasting in the middle part of the field. And because that frees us up for almost 7,000 per player for three slots. And I want to see what does JM do with all this money burning a hole in his pocket? Burning a hole in my pocket. And we're going to leave 6K on the table for this roster. Um, no, I do like, you know, like the Logan Thomas, Juju Smith Schuster. It's not like doesn't really help you that much that they're both in the same yeah, game, yeah. but it always feels good. Uh, I built does. a practice build last night with those two, and it was like, ooh, look at this. Um, so yeah, the I guess there's a couple ways we can go here. One, we could say let's fit in Devontae Adams and bet mm -hmm. on this being um, you know, a lot a lot's been made about the 13 or the yeah, the 13 targets last time Aiden O'Connell started. That's also a very small sample size. But in part, Josh McDaniels was fired because they have not been able to get Devontae Adams going, right? So you'd expect a heavy emphasis on Devontae Adams in this spot, and he's gonna be the lowest owned of the bunch at the top. And then I would want to ask like, what are, what bet are we placing on this Cowboys Eagles game? Are we wanting to just say this game ends up being like a 24 to 20 game and none of these pieces end up producing at a level that matches their salary? Uh, or do we want to kind of take that shot on CD lamb uh, in this spot? Because if we take the shot on CD lamb, we're restricting our salary a lot more, but also we're getting another guy who can go for that um, high score. So that's sort of the question that I would ask here. Uh, Pete, I'll let you answer because there's no wrong answer. It's more, how do we want to approach things on this particular roster? Yeah, I feel like we have, I don't, I don't mind spending up like right on a, on a slate. I guess then the question is, do we have anyone in that sub 5k range that jumps out to you to pair with, with CD? Because I'm definitely interested in CD in this spot. Yeah. So the way to do it would probably be to go with, um, would probably be to go with AJ Brown over CD lamb, because then you can go Michael Gallup down at the bottom and get the leverage oh. off of CD lamb. Uh, we just barely don't have enough for Brandon cooks, who I believe is 4,400. Um, so what we could do is either save a little bit of salary at another spot and go with Brandon cooks. Where would we save salary? We would save salary, I guess at the tight end position, uh, or we could go down to Michael Gallup and then spend a little bit of extra salary uh, at defense or at tight end. One more I would just I want to ask you about because it goes back to a stacking thing. Um, if you do Lamb, do you have any interest in getting Shahid in this spot with Derek Carr in this specific type of lineup? Because yeah, he does I, I think that Shahid, uh, Carr, and Kamara is interesting. Keegan and I did that on the DFS lab this morning. Um, okay, his call on on that. Uh, yeah, I don't think that it's I don't think that it's um, and I see what you're saying because then we could go with. Um, CD Lamb and then throw Shahid in here. Yeah, uh, let's go. Let's do that. Let's go CD Lamb and throw Shahid in here because then we kind of complete this bet and we double our leverage off of Chris Olave um, 
because, you know, again, if Rashid Shahid put up 27 points last week and then we're still sub 4K, he would be super popular. We spent a right. little bit extra and nobody wants to, to play him. So um, I'm looking for opportunities like that that fits in with the conversations we've had. So, um, yeah, yeah, I like the way that, that goes. Well, and I think, too, it, it kind of speaks to, you know, I a lot of times I think one thing you're good at is a lot of people like to say, I want to start with my double stack and my bring back or whatever. I mean, we started with the plays you feel the most comfortable and then we get all those in and then we're saying, all right, what salary is remaining? Well, in this salary range, you get a correlated piece that's also going to be low owned and still piggybacks on that leverage thesis you outlined. Then it seems like, okay, this is a good spot. We didn't force it, but it really naturally works here. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely a nice setup that we have here. And it's, unique. It's got a lot of leverage. It has clear pathways to a first place finish from a raw points perspective. And from a standpoint of if these guys hit, is it hurting other rosters that we're competing against? Yes. And so then that also increases our paths to a first place finish. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you guys hanging out in the chat as always immediately following this. I am headed over to the underdog daily channel for off and on the clock with the badge bros. We're going to walk through this entire slate from an underdog drafting perspective. I've been really enjoying these shows back to back really gets you in the frame of mind for drafting and putting together sharp lineups. Jam, any other final thoughts, things going on at OWS that people need to make sure they check out? Uh, no, that's it. We'll, we'll leave it at that. Thanks for hanging out guys. We'll see you next week. Sounds good. We'll see you next week. Good luck in week nine guys.